As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, helping you to understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. I'm Ruth Jackson, and before we hear from today's guest, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles, and resources. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you can get yourself a free ebook or two. That's premierunbelievable.com. But now for today's show. I am joined by Bruce Miller, author of numerous books, including The Seven Big Questions, Searching for God, Truth and Purpose, which is the focus of our show today. Bruce is the founding pastor of Christ Fellowship in McKinney, Texas. He is also a consultant for Christian leaders and has recently directed his wisdom towards LGBTQ plus consulting, having written various books on this topic. Well, Bruce, we've got the final two questions in your book. Is the Bible reliable and how can I know God personally or can I know God personally? Um, Let's look at the first one first. Is the Bible reliable? I mean, is this a question predominantly for non-Christians? Because presumably for most Christians, um, it's something of a given that the Bible is at least somewhat reliable, would you say? I would say probably somewhat reliable, but I find this is a question that that Christians and non-Christians ask. And it seems that it's common at Christmas and Easter for there to be specials on television that that are critiquing the Bible. And there'll be some new expose or some somebody saying that the Bible is not reliable or you can't count on it. It's not trustworthy. And Christians themselves find things that they see that maybe they see as a contradiction or something they don't understand or something that's offensive that, that causes them to wonder, is it really reliable? Can I count on the Bible? Certainly a question from non, for non-Christians too. And do you think this is something that, like this question is something that we need to ask earlier than maybe we used to because people are now more sceptical of the Bible? I know that obviously in some of your early answers, you kind of draw on the Bible. And is that something where if we're having a conversation with our friends and we're using the Bible as kind of I guess to bolster our argument, do we need to go back a few steps in order to kind of show them that we think the Bible is reliable before using it to bolster our arguments about other questions? I think that makes logical sense for us, you know, to to bolster the Bible. But I would say you can, uh, what you can do and I do in the book is to say, you know, whether you believe the Bible is true or not, at least it's worth understanding the point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, wouldn't you agree that the Bible is a classic book that's had a huge impact, which it has. And so, I'm not asking you to believe the Bible or to accept it as true, but I do want to share what it has to say. So rather than using the Bible to bolster your argument, I would use it to explain your argument and to just say to your friend, 
look, whether you accept the Bible or not, I just want you to be sure you're rejecting something that's actually true. Uh, in other words, a lot of people will reject a uh, straw man, which is a, a weak form of an argument, or what they might imagine is true about Christianity without really understanding it. So I would use the Bible not to bolster your argument, but to give definition to it or explanation to it to make it clear to people. So I suppose, would you limit your references to the Bible with non-Christians because of their potential skepticism towards it? Or would you just use the approach that you've been talking about just there? I would tend to limit it in my work with non-Christians, or sometimes I'll quote the Bible without saying chapter and verse. Mm -hmm. Or I might say, here's what the Bible's point of view is. You can agree with it or disagree, but I just want to be sure you understand it before you disagree with it. Because mm -hmm. many people don't even understand it. And so making the point that, you know, as you're talking with someone, in fact, you will, we want to do this in the reverse, is you want to really understand someone's argument before you disagree. And in fact, I try to be able to make the other person's argument as well or better than they make it mm. before I disagree with it. Yeah. What, what do you think are some of those big objections that people have to the Bible? I guess, you know, why would people think that it's not reliable? Yeah, a lot of people would say, look, the Bible is a translation of a translation of a translation. And they would use the old telephone game. I don't know if you're familiar with that game, but the idea is that, that a group of people are in a circle and someone whispers to the person next to them a story. And then that person tells the other person it goes around the circle. And by the time it gets around the circle, it's nothing like it started with. It gets all distorted and, and changed. And so the feeling is, isn't that the case with the Bible? That it's, it's been translated and translated so many times. Certainly the English Bible we have today must be nothing like the original. And that's a common point of view. Well, the good news is that that's completely erroneous. And actually, the Bible is translated today. Good standard English translations go back to the earliest manuscripts that exist. So it's not a translation of a translation. It goes back to the original Greek and Hebrew, some of the Bible in Aramaic, most in Greek and Hebrew. And in fact, today, we have discovered more manuscripts, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and even today, we're finding new manuscripts hidden away in monasteries, and people today are photographing them, digitizing them, making them available, so that scholars today have access to more Greek and Hebrew manuscripts than have ever existed. So the most recent current English translations are more accurate than any translation that's ever been done. What do you think personally is the most difficult passage in the Bible? And I guess, importantly, how would you kind of reconcile that difficulty with, with your faith? There are passages in the Bible that I don't fully understand and, or that don't totally make sense to me. And I, I think I'll ask God about them one day. And I think this is back to something we talked about early on about how much can we know? How much can we know with certainty or know absolutely or exhaustively? And I don't think this side of eternity, we're going to understand every line in the Bible perfectly. That's, that's too high an expectation. I think we can understand the Bible well enough and hear the central message, love God and love others, the two great commandments. But some of the killing in the Old Testament, some of the laws seem strange to me. And some of the, the attack that God or ordains of the Canaanite people. I've, heard, I've read some explanations. I have some explanations, but still some of it is not completely satisfying to me. And so I find I still have questions. And I would, I would su suggest that probably you and as, as a listener, you're still going to have questions. 
part of what that does is spur me on to study more. Mm. And as I read, the Bible has been studied so long. When you really study most any passage, you'll find there are good explanations of almost every passage in the Bible. You've definitely answered this a little bit already, but how do we approach some of those really difficult passages in the Bible, do you think? Yeah, I want to to encourage you. you For most people, the Bible is a strange book. It's a big book. It's actually 66 books all combined together that remarkably tell one story. But these are ancient books. And so we would expect that there's an ancient context that is distant from us culturally, distant from us in time. So when we read about shepherds, at least I don't know about you, but I've never, I cared for sheep. I, I don't own a sheep. <laughs> and so I have to understand a little bit about shepherding to understand the metaphor and what's being communicated there. And so again, the good news is there are biblical scholars, there are people who have studied the ancient culture, who've studied Greek and Hebrew. And there, you have, we have access today, especially with the internet, to really good scholarship that can help us understand the Bible. So you want to understand the Bible in its cultural context. Secondly, the Bible is written in literary genres that sometimes people ignore. So it's not all one form of literature. There are, there's legal literature, there's poetry, there's history, there are letters. And so you want to read the, the Bible in the literary genre that it's written in. If you don't read Proverbs as proverbial wisdom literature and take it as promises, that can be confusing. Mm-hmm. So there's some simple, it, it's called the, the ultimately, the study of, hermit, of interpretation is called hermeneutics. So there's good reading of the Bible, just like any other literature that you can learn to read. Well, you don't have to be a scholar, but you can access good scholarship to understand the Bible well. It's one thing, I guess, not understanding cultural references and things like that, but how would you respond to people who say that the Bible is is racist or sexist or at the very least hugely, hugely out of date and out of touch? Yeah, uh, I really, the, those accusations of racist, sexist, out of touch often are just misunderstanding the cultural context. No, it's not a book written in the 21st century in our culture and our language. But when you read the Bible in its cultural context, you'll find that actually it's the Bible and biblical principles that stand against racism for justice, against what the Bible calls favoritism or prejudice, and that the Bible actually honors women in a significant way. Um, Jesus stood against his own culture in elevating women. Women were the very first ones to discover Jesus' resurrection and tell that story as a, for instance, it was a woman who was the first uh, missionary, so to speak, who went and told her whole city, the city of Sychar, about Jesus Christ. So I think you'll find that those are inaccurate depictions of the Bible, and actually the principles and story and truth of the Bible is as relevant today as it was the day it was written. I suppose it's one thing understanding the kind of internal things that are going on inside the Bible, but how important is external evidence for the veracity of the Bible? I think external evidence is really important Uh, I think, again, we should embrace questions. We should embrace truth. So if the Bible describes a city or a king, then we would expect to find that in archaeology. And so you can, when you're researching the the accuracy of any ancient book, one thing you do is study archaeology. And so you look at archaeological finds, which you'll discover do support the Bible. Uh, It used to be that people thought, well, the Bible talks about camels, but they weren't domesticated back then. Well, we've since discovered, yes, they were domesticated back when the Bible says they were. 
Or the other place you go is you go to other ancient literature. And does other ancient literature confirm what the Bible talks about? And you'll find, yes, that's the case. There are books that talk about Herod and Pilate and characters that the Bible mentions are mentioned in other ancient literature, which confirms that, yes, in fact, it is historically accurate. You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Just before we jump into the final question, would you have any top tips for someone who wants to start reading the Bible? Yeah, I would encourage you to start reading the Bible. Some people start at the very beginning. That's not always the best in terms of Genesis. It's quite interesting to read maybe the first 11 chapters, but I would encourage you to read the Gospel of John. I think it's a great starting place. And then maybe from there to read the book of Romans. Those two books summarize, one, the life of Jesus Christ, and two, some overall theology or New Testament. So I would start with the Gospel of John and the book of Romans as a good starting point. Well, let's dive into the final question of your book. Can we know God personally? And is there a reason that you put this right at the end of your book? Yeah, I think this is ultimately where they all, where these questions all point toward is it's not just a worldview, a conclusion of an argument, but it's can we have a real personal relationship with the living God? That that thought is just absolutely remarkable because if it's true, oh my goodness, we can have a real relationship with the creator of the universe. That would be astounding. That would be remarkable were it true. And in fact, that is what the Bible offers to us. The Bible talks about it in terms of images like eternal life or reconciliation, that we were at odds with God and we can be reconciled. This is the message of what it's called the gospel. The gospel is, I mean, just simply means good news. But God himself, as the Bible describes God, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it can sound like, boy, the Trinity is esoteric theology, but it's actually very practical and right to this point, which is that God exists in an eternal relationship of love among Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the message of the gospel, the good news, salvation, is that we can enter into that love relationship that we can actually be brought into, the Bible calls it being adopted into the family of God, that we are, other images are, we're united with Christ, reconciled to God, which is just, I find to be so incredibly beautiful and wonderful. On the flip side of that, why does God often seem so distant, do you think? Why doesn't he just sort of reveal himself in a really obvious way? I really don't know the answer to that, Ruth. I think that's a, that's one of those questions I ask too. Why doesn't God reveal himself in a more obvious, more direct way? I honestly don't know. I find sometimes, though, God's distance is not a matter of him, but us. You know, sometimes in a relationship, you wonder, why is our relationship distant? And you're putting the blame on the other person. You realize, gosh, it's actually me. I'm the one who's distanced myself from God. Um, so I think that's something we want to look at is, are you really honestly pursuing God yourself? and honestly seeking him on his own terms. Because he says, if you do, he uses the imagery of knocking at a door. If you do knock and seek and ask, he will answer and he will enter into a relationship with us. But there are times when God does feel distant. God does feel like he's far away. It's like your prayers are banging off the ceiling and you're not connecting. And in moments like that, I encourage you to take some extra time to pray, to read the Bible, to be still and really listen. And I think most times, you will, you'll, you will enter into an experience with God 
that requires a little more than just a minute or two here or there in between things and the busyness of your life. Sometimes we need to slow down quite a bit more, uh, even to take a whole day off of work and say, let me just spend this day seeking God. Is religious experience, for want of a better phrase, an important element of the Christian faith, do you think? Yeah, I really do. And I, I think that a lot of people misunderstand Christianity either to be a worldview, simply a, a sort of a life philosophy, or to be a set of rituals, or thirdly, to be a set of religious rules, when in fact, the core of it is a relationship, a real relationship with the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in which we can hear God through his word and prayer, and we can listen to God through the scripture as as the Holy Spirit makes the scripture, the Bible come alive to us. And we can experience, for instance, you can experience peace, supernatural peace in very difficult times. There's a way God is communicating with you. You can experience joy in difficult times that is literally supernatural. This is something that you experience in the power of God that is not explainable any other way. I mean, this might not be something that you've had lots of people ask you, but some I work with young people a lot, and a lot of the young people I work with have articulated in various forms over the years that they've never felt God, again, for want of a better word. I mean, how would you respond to that objection, that they've not felt God? Yeah, I think it's a it's an important question. Have you ever felt God? Have you ever experienced him in some way? And I would say, you know, you might have and you might not have recognized it. Or sometimes we've explained it away as just coincidence or just one of those things. But actually, I find that most people, when we sit and talk long enough, would say, I have had some supernatural experience or something I can't quite explain. These days, there's quite a few people moving away from a sheer materialism toward realizing there is something spiritual. There's something supernatural. I'm not sure what it is, but I believe there's something more than what I can taste and smell and sense just with my five senses. So they may or may not call it God. They may call it the supernatural or the spiritual, but some reality, some realm, some power that's more than themselves. Do you have any practical tips for someone wanting to actively pursue hearing God's voice in their life? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And a couple of things I would say, one is literally to pray, to ask God to say, I want to hear from you, God. I want to know you. Secondly is to read the Bible. If it really is God's word, than to read it, praying, God, speak to me through the Bible. The third thing I would say is to get with other people who are serious about seeking God. Find some other Christians, some other people, read the Bible with them, talk about it together. There's something about the experience of, of, of interacting with God with other people that can be powerful. And the fourth thing I would say is go to a worship service. And sometimes people don't want to go to a church. You don't have to be in a church to meet God. But I think there's also power in worship, singing together, um, and, and experience, even though you may not believe in God, to try going to a worship service and asking God to speak to you in the context of that worship service. Another place I find people going is out in, in creation, in nature. Somehow the beauty of a forest, a mountain, a beach is a place where a lot of people have had an experience with God in settings like that. I think it's fair to say that we've all had wrestlings, doubts, things like that. How do we hold that intention with our faith and wanting to trust God, um, but being honest about our doubts, do you think? 
Yeah, I think that's such an important question. And I would encourage you that you can live with faith and doubt. And this is back to this big phrase I used, epistemological humility. But what I mean is we can know enough, we can know sufficiently, reliably, without knowing absolutely or exhaustively, which means we're always going to have some level of doubt, some level of questioning that runs through our mind, questions we haven't answered, passages in the Bible we don't quite understand. And even having that, we can still have a strong faith in God and a growing relationship with God. I think we see that in our everyday life experience. If you're married with your spouse or with a close friend, you have questions, you have concerns, you have um, difficulties. But if you have a good relationship, you have tremendous good times together and love together. Even if moments you wonder, does this person really love me? Are we really going to enjoy life together? And yet through that, and this is just a human analogy, because with God, it's at a different, at a higher level. But we can have good human relationships, even with some degree of question and doubt in the midst of it. As we wrap up this series, which has been so helpful, and obviously I feel like we're sort of just skimming the surface, and I would highly recommend going to read your book to find out more. But what are some of the things that you learn while writing this book? I really relearned the importance of asking questions seriously, and not just passing them by, and also listening and taking people seriously and moving beyond just the idea of sort of enjoying battering ideas around or to me so much of social media is arguing and actually yelling and screaming at each other and demonizing your opponent as being dumb or bad but rather instead to genuinely listen to each other and so i think what a what a what a one i would encourage you to ask the question seriously deeply and then in a dialogue with a friend to take your friend seriously and to listen deeply and engage in a real dialogue, a real conversation where you're seeking truth together. Well, Bruce, that feels like a brilliant place to end. But thank you so much. And do please get a copy of The Seven Big Questions because there's so much great stuff in the book. Well, thank you, Ruth, so much for having me on the program. And what a joy to engage in this dialogue with you. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Bruce. You're most welcome. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic with me, Ruth Jackson. As always, you can find out more about our guests through the links with today's show. Please do let us know what you think of the programme by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk or you can get in touch on social media. Thank you for listening and see you next week. You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.